Okay, so welcome back for another episode of Lead, Travel, Pray. Today we're going to talk about the idea of work-life balance. So we have with us our co-host, Michelle Strike and Sandy Schneider. So this is Rebecca Ellis, and um, I will be leading us through this discussion today. And we're going to start with the topic of work-life balance versus the wording of work-life integration. I'm seeing a lot more uh, mention of work-life integration uh, the last few years, and I'm curious to know what you both think about that. So we'll start with you, Michelle. Yeah, I think as I've thought about the difference between the two terms and why we're moving more toward thinking about it as integration as opposed to balance is that it seems more realistic to try to integrate our work in our life, especially in this 24-7 world, rather than balance, if you think about it in considering a scale, uh, oftentimes we strive for 50-50. And oftentimes that feels pretty unrealistic. And I think the integration often focuses on blending of the two rather than a separation of work over life or life over work. And um, I was recently looking at a Forbes 2016 article that basically defined these two areas the same way that I did. And they determined that basically they're the same thing. So they said, okay, are these really distinct concepts? They're not. The term integration, though, seems to fit more in our current world mm -hmm. rather than um, balance is about trying to um, get it toward a 50-50 if that's unrealistic. It's really trying to determine where is my work life interfering with my family life or or life outside of work, or where is my life interfering with work? And that has actually been extensively researched. And, and that's really what we're trying to achieve is where one of those does not get too out of whack over the other at any point in time, whether you call that integration or balance, that's really the goal. Michelle, you, you used the analogy of a scale. In my head, work-life balances. Remember when you're a kid and you're out on the playground and there's a seesaw and another friend and you push off and one person's up while the other person is is down um and then you you would have fun with that for a while and then you'd say okay let's try to balance it in the middle and that was really hard to do and i mm -hmm. the terminology of work-life work-life balance that it's really hard to manage that balance point on a seesaw and i think that for years people have been trying to balance their personal life with their work life. And similarly, it's really hard. And then I think out of that grows some frustration and then opens the door for a new concept, which is work-life integration, which is less about conflicting or competing seesaw um, weights, but more about, okay, how can I get this to blend in a way that's aligned with what's important to me and what I want out of life? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, I agree. I think the word integration makes them sound a lot more complementary than something that has, you know, these kind of opposing um, views or, or goals. So I, I, for one, am a fan of the um, terminology around integration. I think that better represents probably um, the way that digital has influenced both how we can bring life easier into work and how work um, also kind of goes easier into life. So 
the integration seems to make sense for me too. Mm-hmm. So, so when I heard about the integration um, terminology, I was really intrigued by it because from a personal standpoint, I immediately had this um, negative reaction to it. I was like, oh, but what, what if I don't want to integrate my work? <laughs> and so I, I totally get how we got here. And I, I totally get um, when your work life is something that you love or that you're passionate about or um, is really, really important to you, that work-life integration might be something that's really compelling. But if not, if work is a job that you go to and it's not something that's highly satisfying or bringing great joy to your life, I can see that it would be, um, there could definitely be a negative reaction to it saying, I don't want to integrate my work. I want to keep these two things separate. Mm -hmm. So it was fascinating. And I wonder if my, you know, likely my current situation is driving sort of that first reaction. And I'm curious to see over time um, if that changes. Yeah. So I think that's a great point. And based on that, um, let's talk about the next item, which is what does integration and successful balance look like um, for each of you? So I have a feeling that it's something that is quite different depending on who you talk to, but Um, Let's see if we can prove that out with some examples here. Sandy, do you want to go first on what for you is the best integration or balance? For me, balance looks like being satisfied with what is going on in my personal life at the moment and gaining satisfaction from what is happening in my work life. And I feel like that ebbs and flows over time about where I might need or want greater satisfaction. Um, But I think what I've come to learn is that it's no formula. And what might be working for me today may not work for me in six months or next year or two years from now. And so I think it's important to just keep an eye on what it is that you're looking for, what what do you derive satisfaction from in your life? Because at the end of the day, that's what we're trying to do, is we're trying to enjoy the time that we have on this earth to the best of our abilities. And that includes doing work and living the rest of our life. So how can we figure out what's most important to us to create those priorities and then live according to them? Great. How about you, Sandy? I mean, Michelle. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I like Sandy that you talked about, which is most satisfying to you. I think that that is a good way for me to just kind of take it in and internalize it because I do think that um, work can be highly satisfying for me and I have to then be intentional around what does my personal life look like and how am I spending my time there to make sure that I'm not spending too much time in my work life because I can get burned out and um, need to back off of it. So I would say that going back to your seesaw analogy, Sandy, I don't try to get to a 50-50 point, but I do try to make sure that it's not way out of whack for any extended period of time. By extended period of time, I'm talking a few weeks or a month. Um, After about two weeks of feeling like, oh, one of these or the other is, you know, a 60-40, 70-30 topsy-turvy time, and usually it's that work is 60 or 70 and my life is on the shorter end of it. 
Um, I have to get super intentional and be proactive about um, looking at a busy work week. If it's busier than I expected it to, figuring out over the next couple of weeks, how am I going to get that balance back? For a long time, I think that I assumed that, oh, this work thing is going to calm down and I will get that balance back. And what I have found about myself is that if I'm not super, super intentional, it doesn't come. So I can't just say, oh, okay, this is a busy time. It will get better. No. If it con continues and lingers on, I step back and really evaluate it. Yeah, I think you made a good point, Michelle, which is that the situations can change so um, fluidly on how that um, balance, so to speak, is measured. And, um, you know, when I'm on big projects like, um, like an acquisition, for example, it could be a lot of late nights, weekend work is fairly regular. Um, but if that were the case uh, all the time, then I would definitely be resentful of how much um, of work life uh crept into my, um, life, life. And, um, you know, there are a lot of strategies that I try to take just to keep, um, balance there for one. Um, and we'll talk more tactics. I know here in a minute from both of you, um, with being a mom, I try not to leave the house until both kids are gone for school. And because I do have a lot of early morning meetings, um, I mostly take those then at home so I can see them off. And my day's just better, and I think their day's just better when that happens. Because of that, um, on some of my calls, Graham is a regular guest visitor who comes in and likes to give me a kiss on his cheek on the way out the door. Um, so it doesn't mean necessarily I get to not work until they're gone from the house, but I at least am here, um, and you know, there's kind of mutual respect with my colleagues if I need to put them on mute and go tend to them and take care of something before they're out the house. Um, and, the, and the same at night. Sometimes my calls start at nine o'clock at night with Asia. Um, I do start them at nine versus eight um, so that the kids can, you know, mostly be done with their homework and evening routine. And then I um, kind of jump back on. So um, I, I think earlier in career, I would have been a bit resentful of how that um, took from uh, my personal time, but I think being um, intentional to Michelle's point about how you use your time helps um, with that. And I value the um, ability to have global work so much that I'm willing to make those sacrifices. And then I feel less guilty when some of my personal life, my life life creeps in in the middle of the day, right? And taking kids to doctor appointments or um, checking in on a volunteer or charity activity that we're involved in. Um, I don't necessarily try and um, make sure that the eight to five is the eight to five. And then after that, you get um, to not focus on work, but instead trying to figure out how to blend the two into that broader, maybe uh, 18 hour day um, that we have available to us. So um, I do. Yeah, go ahead. That's a great example of what we've been talking about, of working mm -hmm. right? where you have found something that works for you. You're able to get the work done that you need to get done through your conference calls meetings. And you're also playing the role of mom that you want to play. And it sounds like it's working not just successfully for you, but it's working successfully for the kids as well as your uh, colleagues at work, which is you know what we would strive for from an integration perspective. 
Yeah. And I think that's the point. Like it's, um, there are many players in balance and integration and you have to kind of get them all on the same page to feel like you're winning and winning doesn't always mean 50, 50, right? I mean, that's, I think that's the, um, piece of it for me. That's been just important to understand over time. Um, I know many of us, many of us here on this, um, show as well as our listeners are achievers. We push really hard. We want to deliver the best we can and we will, um, very agreeably overextend ourselves to do so. And so knowing kind of what your own barriers and parameters, um, what you're willing to give and not, and then just being able to successfully negotiate that with all parties at the table, uh, family and work. Um, I think that's where the, some of the, the fun of the tension, um, between them all comes. So absolutely. Yeah. What are some other examples of how you both integrate work and life? So for me, I um, really try to proactively manage my calendar. It's something that actually my boss and I have partnered on quite a bit for me because I found that to the point that you were just making, Rebecca, I am an achiever and I like cool work and I can say yes to too many things that tick off enough of those satisfiers for myself. I know that. So I now have parameters in place to help me figure out what work commitments I have and what life commitments I have. So a specific tactic that I have that's really helped me is that every week, usually on Sunday, I will look at my work and personal calendar simultaneously so that I can get a feel for over the next couple of months. So on a weekly basis, I'm not just looking a week or two out. I'm literally looking every single week over the next two or three months to see what does that flow look like? Is there a time period that looks like it might be busier? If that's the case, that's okay. But then I put things in place where I block off maybe some evenings or weekend time in order to allow for more social time or more rest time. And again, I can't just leave it to chance. I know myself and that doesn't work. And having strategies in place. So for example, if I have two weeks at work that are super busy, I found that then planning sometime within that month, a Friday afternoon where I leave the office at say one o'clock works for me because I can run errands while everybody else is at school and work. And that's satisfying for me to then not have to take a chunk of my weekend to do that because I've just worked so many hours in the evenings and weekends prior to that. So that kind of integration and planning for that has allowed me not to be resentful when it comes because I can plan for it. Now, are there times where I have to work a lot more and that's unexpected? Absolutely. But then I'm looking at how do I find that time elsewhere because that compounding effect of working a lot of hours without enough buffer really causes the resentment. So I would say Having, having some sort of partner, whether that be at work or in your personal life, some accountability around it has been um, a really big thing for me. Good example. Very good example. How about you, Sandy? So, um, I, you know, this is not my strength. Let's just, <laughs> <laughs> um, I think, Michelle, you mentioned it earlier that... Um, when you have this high need for achievement and 
you get on this work path where success is important to you and you're achieving success and you're being recognized and rewarded for that success, um, soon enough, you find yourself in what, you know, a term we might use would be workaholic or when most of your life is spent with a work focus. And I found myself in that case. Um, and part of that was my full-time employment. And part of that was every other project I took on. Suddenly I was working full-time and teaching adjunct and um, the board for a nonprofit and doing all of these things that I enjoyed and brought satisfaction to my life. But it was way out of whack. I was suffering on the, the personal relationship side because I was so focused on doing what might be termed as work. And the reality was I left. I left it all and moved to Hawaii. And part of that, I remember the thought process was, this is your chance. This is your chance to figure out what work-life balance looks like. Because at that time, it wasn't about integration. It was work-life balance. And I felt like if I couldn't figure it out living on the island of Maui, then something is seriously wrong. <laughs> and I, I luckily did figure it out. It, it helped me to really come spend some time alone figuring out what was really important to me and what did I want my life to look like and some conscious effort around designing my life versus just saying yes to every opportunity that came by because they were all good opportunities. They, they were all good, mm -hmm. but they, they got me to a place where I was no longer happy. And um, I got to say Maui brought, brought joy back into my life. <laughs> mm -hmm. And then when I moved back to the mainland, that was one of my biggest concerns was, can I go back to a faster pace mainland life and not fall back into my old habits? And well, time will tell. I think I'm doing okay. I'm not totally bad, <laughs> but, um, but it, it's something I have to stay on top of. Yeah, I think that all of us struggle with this. And I remember, Sandy, when you were leaving to go to Maui, I said, please don't um, do this overcommitment thing all over again. I just nice. remember begging you to <laughs> um, stop before you said yes and really think about, okay, how much of this do you want to do? Because I could see that again, it's cool stuff. It's good stuff. It's satisfying stuff. Too much of a good thing is still too much, right? right. And I remember just um, being your friend and, and being someone who's wired very similarly to you, it is easy to overcommit and just saying, wow, use this as an opportunity to literally do nothing for a while and see what do you really like versus what did you say yes to? And it became a, a life-changing opportunity um, for me to really envision and consciously define what I wanted my life to look like and then work to make it happen, mm -hmm. which is not something I had done before. Yeah, that's great. Thank you for sharing that example. So what is hardest to balance in all aspects of your whole self, so to speak? Where do you struggle with balance the most? Sandy, do you want to start us off? I think I, where I struggle the most is what, what we were just talking about, and um, it's the overcommitment. It's the, I want to do so many different things that all are valuable, that all the, the world would say these are good things, and they, I derive satisfaction from them, but 
that overcommitment thing is huge. And it can take a toll on your personal health. It can take a toll on certainly the relationships you have with family members, with friends, people who are important to you in life. Um, and so for me, it's resisting the desire to get involved in everything that I want to get involved with right now. And it's not about saying, no, I'm never going to do that. It's just maybe I'm not going to do it today. I'm not going to start new projects this week because they're all good and I want to do them. Maybe I need to space that out. Yeah, good. Thank you. Yeah, so for me, I think it's very similar to what Sandy was saying. I would say that it's a it's about stress. So that's I think where I struggle the most. And for me, it's something that I have to monitor because I don't outwardly express stress very often. It's more of an internal thing yeah. where I can tell that I'm struggling with sleeping. I um, think mean thoughts about people when they get on my nerves. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, my assistant would actually tell you that um, when I've had it, I go into her office and I put a piece of paper on my head. If I don't have a piece of paper in my hand, I put my hands on my head. And that's her sign that I have reached my limit. <laughs> and um, I am not integrated. I have worked too many hours. That. The, the piece of paper on my head typically doesn't come from a one-off, oh, this moment I'm super frustrated, although that will happen. I'm certainly human. It's usually the cumulative effect of a lot of stress, mm -hmm. a lot of um, working in the evenings and on the weekends, and it's that pattern that gets me out of whack, and eventually I'm in a bad mood more often. I'm just tired. I don't... Um, I just am not the person who I want to show up as. And I would say that that's what I struggle with is checking in with myself because to Sandy's point, I can get sick and mm -hmm. I've really, really tried to hold myself accountable to that not being my indicator that things are out of whack because by that point it yeah. is so far gone that I've really messed it up. And um, so I try to hold myself accountable to figuring it out before them and before then. And um, even going back to my previous example of how um, my boss is a partner in this is um, he and I have put a 24-hour rule in place for me before I say yes to something significant at work. And I, I can decide what to do in that 24 hours. I think about it. When they ask me if I want to do something, I say, let me get back to you. I typically reflect on it, think about what I have coming up during that period of time. And if I'm still struggling with whether I should say yes or no, then um, I phone a friend, which is my boss, <laughs> to kind of talk it through. And to Sandy, your point it's not about saying, no, I'm not going to do this at all and don't ask me again. It's, it's sometimes that, hey, the timing of this just doesn't work. And so next time, keep me in mind. But I do have to say no because I know up front that I will be overcommitted. And that's even with the predictable, much less the unpredictable. So I really have to um, stay on top of that. Otherwise, I know that my health and well-being will just suffer. Yeah, I think those are um, great points. I know, um, I'm, since I'm so great at this, <laughs> I should definitely be preaching to the choir about it, right? Um, I mean, the reality is I love to be busy. I thrive on being crazy busy, and many people think I am, as a result, the crazy part, as well <laughs> as the busy part. But um, 
I have a crazy capacity for work and um, that I, and I don't expect the same of others nor for people to even um, necessarily appreciate the capacity that I have. But in almost every work um, job I've had internally, um, there's not enough work for me to stay satisfied. And so I find projects, I find other ways to get involved and things to do. And um, what I have to guard against most is how favorable those look, um, kind of the optics around them. And um, I ask people to hold me accountable to deliver on what I um, am there for. But um, anyway, that's, I know, uh, kind of the sick side of being wired the way that I am. Um, where I probably get in the most work balance, work-life balance trouble though is outside the networking. I love to meet people. I'm a connector, um, in St. Louis when I lived there uh, for many years, it was a regular event that I would meet someone new or have lunch with someone, um, in my network who maybe I didn't even need to have a close relationship with probably once a week. And I did run myself a bit ragged trying to get out and meet these people. And I would basically take every request to meet up, whether it be a student who wants just some mentoring advice or a colleague who's curious about job openings at the place I work or just my own kind of interest in uh, things going on. And so when I moved here to, to the indie area, I didn't have that kind of network and people pulling on me. And it was really um, kind of refreshing and at the same time unsettling. And I'm getting back to the point now where that is a pretty regular um, thing. And um, I won't say that I'm telling people no, but um, I'm just not that popular yet. So it's not, it's not an issue, but it is something that I'm trying to kind of guard for and pay attention to. And are these, you know, exchanges that are really going to be mutually beneficial or is this just kind of a nice to do um, and protecting more of that time? Um, because it's just a you know, time consuming to leave work, come back. There's stress of getting back to meetings on time and, um, just in interday events, I guess, um, can be more disruptive to me and kind of my thought process and flow. So, um, yeah. and then outside of work with two kids and activities and crazy, and I'm still involved in a couple charity things. It, it is, um, a little bit crazy, but, um, uh, my husband's a good, um, kind of primary parent and balance for me. And he allows me to be a little overcommitted at times on, in those fronts. But I, I do try and be thoughtful about it, right? Because I don't definitely don't want to exploit his generosity in that case and and make um, but for a bad uh, home life culture um, because I am so absent. So always work to do there, I would say as well. Um, but I again, I'm less involved here than I was in St. Louis, so it feels much more balanced. Even though I'm probably at risk of getting back there if I don't change some of my mindset around it. Yeah, Rebecca, I think that uh, what you talked about, the events that happen during the day, they really can suck into our time more than we think that they do. And that is something that I've been um, cognizant of in this role where I try to do more early morning meetings before I get into the office mm -hmm. or go to a client or later in the day. The 
the in the middle of the day meetings, I really try to reserve that for clients mm-hmm. um, because it really chops up my day. I find that I'm more stressed. I can't be as present because I've been working, then I'm taking off that hat and putting on a different hat and trying to think about something else. And I've just had to be honest with myself and say that if I'm going to give somebody an hour of time, that's not the best version of me who's showing up. The best version of me is showing up at seven or seven thirty for coffee or at four or five mm-hmm. in the, in the afternoon. And typically on those days, because I am getting into work later or I'm leaving work earlier, I, I then make up that um, working time in the evening to get everything done. But again, it's, it's the same amount of time. It's what version of Michelle is showing up. Mm-hmm. I love that you said that, Michelle. So it's about being the best version of yourself, which looks different than the best version of me, which looks different than the best version of Rebecca. And Rebecca, you said it earlier. You said crazy busy and some people think I'm crazy. That's a total judgment. By <laughs> His balance looks different than yours. And so part of this is becoming um, comfortable with who we are and who our identity is. And what does that look like in terms of what might be a standard work-life balance definition? And Rebecca, what I'm hearing you say is that for you, doing more work, spending more time on quality work is something that you absolutely love and is something that brings you joy to your life and is something that your family is well aware of and who work with you to ensure that you have the opportunity to achieve that. And that's a real strength and a real positive thing for you. And so how do you then, when other people point and say, she's crazy, do you say, actually, this is what works for me and this is what makes me feel like I'm the best version of myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great point. So um, we're coming up on our close here um, with our lead travel pray theme. We do like to integrate faith-based topics. And so I'm curious to know how does faith play a role in work-life integration for both of you? Michelle, do you want to start us off? Absolutely. Um, So as I think about this, I reflect back on, uh, this has been a few years back, God had me in a season for two years of rest. And the message was coming at me from every which direction. And it was really clear to me because it lasted two years mm-hmm. that I really had no idea how to really rest. That, that means have downtime. That also meant rest and trust in his plan and not try to do everything my way. Again, going back to thinking about where does the best version of Michelle show up if I'm going to give um, an hour of my time here or if I'm going to say yes to this commitment. What does that need to look like? Is it part of his plan? So I do try to do a better job of keeping a Sabbath day. Now I'm not legalistic about it to where it's like absolutely no chores or no work, but I do try to take a day on the weekend to have more downtime, to recharge, to have time to work on my Bible study for the upcoming week, whatever that really looks like. I don't just say, yes, every single day of the week is just going to come at me. I am pretty intentional, again, because I'm looking at my calendar on a weekly basis. I'm pretty intentional about what that time looks like. And my my faith and in, in feeling like that is a biblical thing that um, God worked really hard as he created 
created the world and then took a day of rest. And I think that we are called to do the same and ignoring that feels um, pretty disobedient. And when I have ignored it too often, I um, can't say that good things came. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for sharing that, Michelle. It, it brings us sort of that back to center. Oh, yeah, yeah. I know that objectively, and yet how am I applying that to my life? Thank you. Mm-hmm. For me, it looks like prayer. So when I'm out of balance, when uh, things are not going the way that um, feels right in my life, something is out of whack. That seesaw is one side up and the other side down, whatever that looks like. Um, I can work really hard and do a lot of activities and try to solve problems and try to fix things. But at the end of the day, I know God has it under and so for me, it's about turning over those worries, turning over those concerns to him and um, spending time in prayer and saying, I, I need your help. I want your help. And I trust that you will help me and then, you know, be grateful for that. Yeah, I think you both gave um, great examples and you're both great models for me in that space. I will say um, this is a part like that involvement in church is a part for me that really ebbs and flows and one that I will dial down if the rest of my world is getting crazy, like the travel that I took on um, the last couple of years. And so I haven't been in, as involved in my church here in Indy as I was in St. Louis. And I don't love that, but I also know I can't put myself over the top. And so it's finding other ways to be faithful um, that might, may not be as time consuming. Um, and that probably sounds really terrible, but it's kind of the selfish, like season of life. So I like your season of rest, Michelle. Um, I think that's a, a good example of sometimes we're just called to step back a little bit and what we do visibly may look different, but it doesn't change kind of the core of who we are, what we do, I guess, invisibly. And so maybe I spend more time even thinking about faith and prayer and intentional um, kind of uh, alignment with those values and things, but the visible stuff, right, may not be um, quite as apparent. So um, I think that's really good. I think a lot about our faith as Christians teaches us that. Um, being giving is very important. And so I think that is probably one in addition to how we're wired, like we're all kind of type A achievers, um, but we're taught to be very giving, right? And so I think that's an aspect that pushes some of our um, desire to be uh, more um, or puts it maybe at risk of being out of balance versus folks who maybe don't have those same kinds of calls um, on their heart, if that makes sense. So, um, but again, to your point, Michelle, we're also taught that rest is very important, right? And that um, being the best of ourselves is definitely good for anything that we're involved in. Um, so, I love yes, that. All I can say is that if you stay out of whack for too long, God <laughs> will find a way to get your attention. <laughs> for me, I had no idea when I started hearing rest, 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 that it would last two years. And finally, at the end, I was like, 
oh, come on, I get it, okay? <laughs> and um, I remember just feeling relieved once that message started to leave me, honestly, because I felt like, okay, I've two years was so long that I had to figure out a way to get it integrated. I could not just blow it off and say, yeah, I'm going to have some downtime. I'm going to say no to something. Right. It was like so ridiculously long that he was like, no, I need you to change the way that you think about how you spend time with me. Yeah. And um, you apparently need two years to learn this lesson. <laughs> well, it's so funny that um, I've heard the phrase many times by many people that, um, oh, you can sleep when you die. Have you guys heard that phrase? Yes. I, well, you can sleep when you die. And I'm like, oh, that's so, that's such a crazy way of thinking. Personally, people don't think I sleep because of my crazy world, but I do. I sleep eight hours, like religiously. I need sleep. It's very important. I understand the need to refuel my mind, my body, just the restfulness that that provides. And so there's no way that I would try and avoid sleep in order to burn my candle at both ends. And um, it's just such a funny, I guess, perception. And that's what made me think of it. Um, Michelle, you've never been a, well, I'll sleep when I die kind of person, but um, there's times when we get those messages where we're like, no, now is the time to dial it back. You don't need to burn the candle at both ends to be, to be successful. I started reading a book recently um, called The 4-Hour Workweek, and it's Tim Ferriss, and he's, you know, a huge um, social media person, and um, honestly, the book, when I started reading it, it I noticed the print edition was in like early 2000s, maybe it's, it's at this moment, um, the original quite old and I haven't seen if he has more recent, I should look that up, but it had some very interesting advice on how to get work done in a lot less time. And I think there's, um, the two awesome hours too, by, uh, I'm going to mess this up, but I think it's Josh Davis. It's someone involved in the neural leadership Institute. But anyway, those both had some interesting ideas of how to get the most out of a short amount of time. And um, I'm not necessarily advocating them at the moment because I'm not deep enough in either. But I don't think we should try and cram a bunch of work in a little bit amount of time if that doesn't get us, it doesn't fulfill us and feel like we can bring our best selves. But I am always interested in ways to make as big an impact as possible in a short amount of time, as I know both of you are as well. Mm, yes. Awesome. So we're wrapping up here. I can't believe we've been at this a bit over a year, um, but we've definitely um, had a good time, learned a lot, and um, continue to get lots of interesting insights and feedback from our listeners. So if you're new to Lead Travel Pray, we'd love to hear what brought you here and what you're learning from listening to our monthly um, show. And if you have been a longer time listener, we'd also love to hear why you're staying. Um, and so we love to read comments and we could use more ratings in any of our platforms. So please stop by and do that for us. You can follow us on Twitter at Lead Travel Pray and check out us, uh, our website also at leadtravelpray.com. Thank you, Sandy and Michelle, for another great episode. Thank you.